This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is World Changing Ideas, and I'm Amelia Hempel. This season, we're bringing you stories from changemakers and innovators all around the world, all working to create a better future. So if you're on the hunt for some solutions to the world's problems, then you've come to the right place. Okay, firstly, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts right now, please tap the subscribe button. It helps more people to find the podcast. It's free. It takes you two seconds. And secondly, please give us some stars while you're at it. Okay, on with the episode. So when it comes to world-changing ideas, the metaverse is definitely a front-runner to be one of them. There are loads of different definitions of what the metaverse is or could be, but Web3, the metaverse, basically the next iteration of the internet, is definitely on the way. At the moment, the whole thing's looking quite fragmented. You get all of these buzzwords being thrown around like immersive, virtual reality, avatars and headsets – But it's not really clear yet how this new virtual space will change the way that we interact with each other. I wanted to hear from someone who's been doing a deep dive into this, someone who can tell us more about it. Last year, I sat down with Kathy Hackle. She's the founder and chief metaverse officer of Journey. So I wanted to share a bit of our conversation with you. Hackle's just written a new book called Into the Metaverse, and she works with companies and brands all over the world, helping to develop their Web3 business strategies. So take a listen. What would you say your big world-changing idea is? So I would say my world-changing idea is understanding that for younger generations like Gen Z and Gen Alpha, that blurry line between something that happens in people call the real world versus the virtual space doesn't really exist or it's getting blurrier, right? Um, So for them, it's really physical and virtual. So just because it happens in a virtual space doesn't make it less real. So having understood that and having understood the concept of the metaverse, you know, I've been working in in this field for over 10 years, if you can believe that. Having understood that, I'm able now to kind of work with companies in new ways to help guide them into this future. But I think it has to do a lot with understanding how culture is changing and how, you know, generations are starting to kind of engage with technology in new ways. How do you see the virtual world looking in terms of the metaverse? There are so many different definitions around what the metaverse actually is. I feel we're spending so much time trying to define something that's still being built. So that's hard. I don't seek to define the metaverse. I seek to build part of it. And I think that that's where people should be spending their time, not so much trying to define something that we're still building, but thinking about, you know, if this is the successor state to today's mobile internet, which many of us agree it potentially is, what does that mean for you? What can you start building? What needs to be in place? Right. So I think that there's a big opportunity there beyond defining it. I feel like at the moment it is quite scattered. People say we're going to be able to do everything in the metaverse, but obviously there are going to be things that rise to the top and become popular for me, the physical world is part of the metaverse, right? For me, the the metaverse is the successor state to today's mobile internet, but it is about virtual shared experiences that happen, yes, in virtual spaces that sometimes might be immersive, uh, but also the physical world. It just hasn't been fully enabled. So if you take into consideration that 
in this kind of vision of the metaverse, the physical world is part of the metaverse, then you're going to be able to do anything and everything, right? That means everything in your life is going to be impacted. And what I mean by that is that, you know, eventually we're going to move away from our phones. There's only so many more cameras we can add <laughs> we can add to the phones, right? Uh, eventually we're going to move into some type of wearable, potentially glasses. I think that that's where it's all going, right? And then we're going to, you know, have all this data in front of us. So it's starting to think about the world almost in layers, right? We are having an interview right now at the Innovations Festival physically in New York. You and I are physically here. This is layer zero or the physical layer. But, you know, we're recording. There's phones and computers and tons of data, right? We don't see it because it's, in, you know, it's, it's invisible to us. Um, but eventually through a wearable, we're, we're going to be able to see that data. Um, but we'll see it in form of, you know, holograms or information that'll pop up and we'll let you know, you know, your friend really recommends this restaurant or, you know, historical places. And you're going to be able to learn about them. So, so the physical world will be part of the metaverse. It just hasn't been fully enabled. And I think therein lies the bigger opportunity. There's also the issue around privacy, data security, land grab. It does seem like the people who are first in are going to be the ones to dominate. I mean, there's always a first mover advantage, right? Um, I mean, I, I would be lying if I didn't said like I've jumped into, you know, maybe buying some NFTs or things because I'm like, mm, you know, first mover advantage. Let's see what happens, right? But, you know, will it only be the first movers? I don't know. I think the correction in the crypto space and like the NFT market correction, like I think that has proved that it's not only first mover advantage, like the projects there that are going to survive are the ones that truly have good communities that have organic growth, that have, you know, roadmaps that make sense. <laughs> I think that there is something there to say, you know, and, and we don't even know. We don't even know if the next big tech company has even been born. You know, I look at a company like Artifact, which was bought by Nike, the growth they have had in the last two years, and they weren't around five years ago, right? So that's what I think, you know, maybe the next tech giant hasn't even been born. Where do you think the money is being made and is going to be made? Right now, I mean, a lot of the money is being made, you know, fashion, the fashion industry has dove in head first. So like Nike uh, through Artifact has seen I mean, immense growth. You've got Adidas, Gucci, Dolce Gabbana uh, making, you know, quite a couple million, a good amount of money um, through through what they're doing in Web3. But yeah, I mean, where is it going to be made? I don't know. It, 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 there's so many aspects of this. I'm I'm really interested in the enterprise side, and that's the boring part, right? Yeah. Fashion is so fun, but the enterprise side, I think, is where you're going to see really amazing gains for the worker and even for companies. So, for example, Lockheed had used the Microsoft HoloLens to build one of the Artemis capsules, and um, and I believe it was the reduction in production time was like by 30%. Things like that, they were just truly amazing when you start to look at the numbers and you're like, well, this really does have an impact on how fast we create something. Uh, and it's almost like giving those workers superpowers. So yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said about what the enterprise is doing. And, um, you know, yeah, we can talk about fashion all day, but I do think that there's a huge part there. Um, you can talk about, you know, the medical field, even, you know, creating pharmaceuticals using new technologies. And then education. I mean, education is a giant, a giant industry that, you know, I think a lot of people think is going to be disrupted in some way. And I think using some of these technologies, there'll pot potentially be an impact there. How can regular people get involved in the metaverse if they know nothing about it? Where is the place to start? Do you think it's in buying virtual real estate, securing your own address <laughs> in virtual reality? What would you recommend? Well, first of all, this is not financial, yeah. <laughs> financial advice this for anyone. Financial advice. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say there's different ways to start, right? If you're really a newbie, um, there's great resources. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll share some of mine. I have several LinkedIn courses uh, that people can take very introductory. You know, my podcast with Adweek, it's called Metaverse Marketing. Very 
very easy way to get in, right? If you're more advanced, then definitely look at Matthew Ball's book, The Metaverse and How It's Going to Revolutionize Everything. You know, you can look at more advanced things. You can start, you know, if you're further in down the rabbit hole and you want to learn to build, maybe learn Unity or Unreal, which are some of the game engines that's more complicated. So I think it depends on where people are in their journey towards the metaverse. Some people are more advanced than others. I think the big thing for me, to be honest, is for people to see in me specifically a different face of technology. A, a, you know, they, when they think technology, they normally don't think about someone like me. Yeah, it seems to be very male-dominated, the metaverse world, from what I've seen. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a Latina, but I think it's important for them to see someone different, for them to feel like they are welcome. I want people to feel welcome to build this future. I always talk about this moment of reinvention, like I've reinvented myself, and I think a lot of people are going to have a chance to reinvent themselves as creators, as the people that are going to run Web3 and Metaverse inside their companies. So yeah, I mean, that's one of my personal missions. I think that there is something to be said for creating a better, more diverse, more welcoming future. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. It's been so interesting to talk to you. Awesome. And I'll see you in the Metaverse. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Okay, a new social world where we can interact with each other in real time, shop, learn, play, hang out. It sounds like a next-level dystopian version of social media to me. I sat down with podcaster and social media consultant Matt Navarra, who had some more futuristic predictions for us. Take a listen. When we talk about social media, I feel like everyone talks about it like it's this really recent thing, but actually Facebook is nearly 20 years old now. What do you think your world-changing idea is when it comes to social media? Any predictions for the future, what we've got coming? Well, I think you're right. You know, social media has been around a while, but it also has sort of changed a lot in that time. And the change has been quite significant. But I think that certainly we're not likely now to see another multi-billion user platform in quite the same way that has you know, grown out of things like ByteDance with TikTok and, and Meta and other platforms. I think the era of having these huge platforms that kind of come out of nowhere and everybody kind of uses as their default platform, uh, we may have kind of gone past that to some degree, or there might be very limited opportunities for that. And there's lots of reasons why that is, you know, it could be partly to do with regulation, it's partly to do with the way that people use social media now and and also people's reaction to the, the negative aspects of social media. The other area really is this area of divergence between public feed and private spaces and this splintering of social media platforms where people spend their time is much more distributed across a, a wider number of different platforms. And now we have far more choice in those platforms and they're far more sophisticated, but equally so are the problems greater and riskier. Um, and I think that's why we've seen this kind of tech lash in the last five years or so. And, and then social media has been a big part of that. But um, but certainly social media in terms of its core essence of what people go to, um, to use social media for hasn't greatly changed, in my opinion. Tell me a bit more about that, the problems. I always think there's a bit of a life cycle with these social media platforms. As soon as the ads start coming in and it isn't just something hyper-personal, it suddenly feels a bit voyeuristic. What do you think? 
Well, social media has got a bad rap um, over the years, hasn't it? And that's everything from, you know, the problems with algorithms and amplifying sort of um, bad content or, or content that is dangerous in some way. Uh, the sort of issues of filter bubbles and people being siloed into kind of being with like-minded people and not being able to escape sort of thought processes or consider other ter- alternative points of view. And then we've had issues in certainly in the last um, sort of few years with you know, misinformation and trust and people being able to be sure of what they're seeing. And, and actually that's going to become, an, you know, an even bigger problem as the years go by with the likes of you know, deep fakes and generative AI, which is really a hot topic at the moment across tech. So, you know, social media isn't going to escape those problems. And, and one of the big things that people forget is that the, the problem with social media isn't always just the tech. It's actually the fact that there's people being sociable and that people's behavior, human behavior is often at the core of, of many of the problems we have with, with the tech that we complain about the most these days. Yeah, it's true. We are the problem. It's surprising to me that the algorithms of these sites have been kept so under wraps. I mean, they're so secretive about how it all works. They are. And and I think that's not surprising, really. Not surprising because this is a, a core piece of IP, their intellectual property that, you know, it makes them different from everybody else to some degree. Although, Arguably now, most people, most platforms have an algorithm that's there to amplify certain types of content and downrank other pieces of content and help you discover the things that are going to be most relevant and interesting to you in a timely fashion. And what we're now seeing is that we've not only still got the problems that we've always had with social media, with content moderation often being uh, one of the main ones, we've now got this generative AI and it's going to make things feel even more real and actually create new problems um, based on existing problems that were never solved the first time around with social Yeah, this real sort of lack of regulation, isn't it? Some really extraordinary things that have been allowed to exist on social media. I mean, do you think AI is going to help that or hinder that? It it seems to be just breaking down trust. I definitely trust so little that I see on social media these days. Yeah, I think that there's a whole generational aspect of it. You know, certain generations are more familiar with use of social media and are more on top of the latest technology and the problems that come with it. But I think you're right. The point you're making about regulation is an interesting one. That it's it, it's been around social media for most people for at least 15 years or so, or even longer. And uh, the problems that it's created in the world, as well as great opportunities, I should say, and, and some other amazing things it's enabled us to do. But the problems certainly have been quite severe in some areas. And yet it's amazing how it's escaped any serious forms of regulation and that the companies that are generating the biggest amounts of money and revenue and profits are still continuing to do so with products that effectively are its users, are its guinea pigs, and uh, the problems are fixed on the go. Um, you wouldn't imagine that to have been the way it would happen in in maybe other regulated industries. They wouldn't have been able to get away with that somewhat. Uh, It seems strange that the the technology and social media platforms somehow have managed to, but I think that's catching up with them. And it always seems slightly unfair that all the responsibility is kind of kicked back to parents, that they're meant to be the ones policing kids on, on social media. I find that really extraordinary. I think that it's one of those things that there's lots of people have a stake in this and that there is a responsibility for governments, there's a responsibility for parents, it's a a responsibility ourselves in how we use social media and there's a a big responsibility from those that are making money out of this, the companies that do it. But it's very easy when you've got a scenario like that where there's no one definable person who's ultimately responsible to blame to say, well, 
it's the government's fault. Let's kick it to them. They should be dealing with this, which, you know, sometimes is what you'll hear social media companies say. We, we shouldn't be the arbiters of truth is a line that Meta likes to use quite often and kick, kicks it back to government. Government says, no, these companies are making all the money. It's their responsibility to, to do it. And then you've got other people saying rightly that this is the parents' responsibility. They're in the home most of the time with their children and they should have um, you know, parental responsibility to see what they're you know, using and consuming and it's their job. And the, the merry-go-round continues. But I think we'll always kind of find an easy way to blame someone else. And, and that's probably why some of these problems have gone on for so long. AI might be the solution to some of them, but I think AI will also create new ones. Yeah, content moderation is an absolute minefield. It is. <laughs> and then it always ends up getting very political as well, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, and, and you get into questions of, you know, companies making money out of something that maybe at someone else's misery, or, um, you know, are we, you know, having some sort of political bias in the content we've got? Is it, you know, whose responsibility is it for the accuracy and legitimacy of the content? Is it the person that created it? Is it the person that published it? Is it the platform that, and that enables people to view it and is amplifying it? Uh, you know, you could probably say all of those people, but then how do you how do you then regulate that and manage that? And and that's probably explains quite neatly why regulation has been really hard for any one country to figure out. And I think that it's now I think got to a stage where people are, are regulators are like we need something, anything would be good, and let's go from there. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Digital Services Act, Digital Markets Act in Europe. The online safety bill in the UK is imminently going to be coming into play. And the US, who surprisingly, with where the companies, many of these companies originate from, has been one of the slowest and least innovative when it comes to regulation of the companies that are causing most of the problems. And then in Europe, you've got kind of different rules and regulations that might affect things, which then could impact these very successful tax generating businesses in the US. So the US puts pressure on the British and the Europeans about what their regulation is against companies that they have in their country. And so you add layer upon layer of complexity, and it is it isn't that surprising that regulation is so hard to implement and it's so slow to that to um, be put into place and then when it is put into place the, the speed of change the rate of change in, in in innovation and technology in general is so fast that much of this is, is quickly outdated it's amazing how quick i feel like people myself included are to sort of hand over autonomy when it comes to social media you don't, you know i definitely don't read the terms and conditions it's just scroll through it vaguely yes you have no idea what kind of information they're collecting no it don't and you know who does you know whether it's social media or sites search engines or and or and even even if you get a pro physical product and you get that little pamphlet in there and it's got all sorts of t's and c's and liability things no no one does and and i think that in some ways now is secondary to many other concerns and issues that people have. Platforms themselves do come back to this core theme of like, we have a responsibility, yes, but we shouldn't be the one deciding all of this on our own. Then we have an era where, oh, generative AI is a new thing. You're like, oh my goodness, what the hell? That's going to completely disrupt everything all over again. And so goodness knows what, what the next era is going to look like for social media with that being brought into the mix. Yeah, lots of jobs for lawyers, I expect. What are some of the new ways that you've seen people using to build new communities? Do you have thoughts on how you see this industry developing? Well, social media in the last um, sort of four, five, six years has certainly been uh, growing towards video specifically as, as a dominant format. And we've seen that with all of the platforms sort of gravitating towards short form video, particularly with the you know, sort of arrival of TikTok and then Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts. So I think that that's still in a stage where you know it hasn't reached a maturity yet. 
We've also um, had a, a very important shift in, in how people use social media and that, that we have this thing called the creator economy, which is a, a huge buzzword of the last couple of years. So I think people's relationship with social and, and the, the importance of it is actually increasing rather than decreasing. People are more reliant on social media, but for, for different things. We're, we're now relying on it not only for our connections with other people and, and, and work relationships or anything else, but it's also building our, our living, our, our income. Um, and so there's a whole new level of, of value and importance to be extracted from them. We're still in this phase where we don't know what's going to happen with decentralized social networks and social platforms. These are platforms where it's not powered from the center and organized from the center with one company making all the decisions and the policies and the rules. It's more distributed amongst those members of the community. And we've seen Mastodon as an example of one of those. And, you know, Twitter has a version of it it had been working on before uh, Elon Musk was involved. Um, In terms of meta and metaverse, there's, there's a whole potential shift that could happen there. But I think we are so many years away from that that revolution, which will be more about the devices that we use and how immersive our experience will be. It will be something which we're actually within and, and can touch and sense and feel and see and hear or you know, use all of the senses. And then finally, I think that people are gravitating towards private communities and being less in the feeds. People are not sharing every last minute of their lives in a, in a public way. And so now a lot of the activity on social is split between private messaging, private communities, closed communities, and the apps and tools and features that are built now for that. And then there's public feeds, which are brands and creators and and news publishers, where we get information from very much consumption-led. But I think that that certainly is a significant shift in terms of the style of content, the type of creators and influencers that we see. And, you know, for my, I've got children myself, and when I was their age, the celebrities that I had as celebrities, big names were, you know, everybody from, you know, Madonna through to someone that was on the big TV show that was on Saturday night. Whereas now the YouTube stars, the TikTok stars, the TikTok creators, even ones that are not massively big names are far more the celebrities for that and that age group. And, that, and that's changed what people expect from social media and, and who are the real sort of power players online compared to maybe 10 years ago when it was the era of celebrity before that. It's amazing, isn't it, how celebrities change, that there can be someone who's so famous that one generation has absolutely no idea who they are and the next is obsessed with them. It's, I mean, that's a huge shift for sure. So what do you think are some of the good solutions that perhaps this next generation, this next wave of social media is presenting or or are you pessimistic about it? I think that we're in this really interesting point at the moment with social media that that it's whether you want to call it an inflection point, a pivotal moment, but certainly there's a convergence of technologies that new and old that is going on and we're going slowly in towards the shift towards meta, metaverse, whatever that might be, which is a, a number of technologies. It's not just about AR and VR, which I think a lot of people think. Um, so there's that going on. And then we've also got in the background like things to do with people are more aware than ever to do with data security and data privacy and encryption and being feeling that you're time online is spent in a meaningful way, but is also a safe and secure experience as well. But certainly the idea that not having big tech companies being the owners and arbiters of truth and all that kind of stuff is important. So decentralization of social platforms and distributing that power and decision-making to to its users, to its members, is going to be a key aspect of social, I think, going forwards. People don't like algorithms, but people need algorithms. So 
I think that hate and you know, discontent with algorithms will continue, but the importance of them is, is, will continue as well. And I think that's why it's this word transparency and being able to understand. People feel that if they understand algorithms, that it will be easier to navigate them. That's interesting. Are there any new kinds of algorithms that have really jumped out at you? Famously, you know, TikTok ByteDance has had this, whatever you want to call the TikTok algorithm, which is based around the idea of like turning social on its head. You know, Previously, um, Meta's and Facebook's success has been that built around an algorithm that's serving you up the content from people that you've chosen intently to follow and like and engage with. And TikTok went, the opposite, did it the other way around, said, no, forget the people you're connected with. It doesn't matter. That's just the if it's something we think you're going to like because we've seen you engaging this bits of content or you've been searching for certain types of content, we'll give you any of that content from anybody, regardless if you know them, chosen to follow them, like them. And it's proven to be really successful and people actually like that and people want that. And that's why now we're seeing all the other platforms, certainly Meta's platforms, um, shifting towards uh, an algorithm that serves up content it thinks you will like based on your behavior. And so I think that that will change the rules of the game. And so brands and, and governments and anybody that, like I said, that uses social media professionally has to have a much better understanding of the communities, the online communities that they're wanting to infiltrate and be part of and engage with. And I think that's a, probably a very good thing, you know, and it, trying to base your content around shock and awe and vanity metrics of likes and shares and stuff, although still is important and still works and still effective, sadly. I think it's the importance placed on that will decrease over time and it will be much more back to to content and communities, uh, which is where there seems to be a lot of focus for social media professionals. And what surprised you most about the development of social media over the years? You've been following this for a long time. Anything that has really jumped out at you? First of all, the speed in which we've seen social media change to a place that was mostly about people consuming content and engaging with uh, people or brands to one where people who were the consumers of all the content now started to become the creators themselves and they've now started to generate a living out of it. And that's quite a, a monumental shift from, you know, if you think of social media in 2008, 2009, um, it's quite quite a significant difference. I think the other thing was what we were mentioning earlier about the fact that these social media companies have been permitted to build products where the users are the test subjects for them. The amount of problems and upset and maybe damaging to mental health, the risks to elections, all sorts of other issues we can list there, yet have avoided any form of regulation and and very limited penalties. They, you know, Meta and others have been fined millions and billions of dollars, but they've made a lot, lot more in that time. It's almost a cost of business to them. And I think it's been quite surprising that social media kicked off for many of these companies in 2006. We're now in 2023 and we're discussing the first meaningful pieces of regulation. An industry has gone on and made uh, hundreds of billions of dollars, maybe more. And it's taken however many years that is to, to get to some sort of regulation. I think that's quite shocking. So 2023 looks set to be a big year when it comes to social media regulation. With Congress banning TikTok from any government devices, the first online safety laws in the UK have committed to fining social media sites that don't have child safety protections in place. And the EU's Digital Services Act has now also come into force. So will this be a turning point for social media companies? We'll have to wait and see.
Okay, that's all for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel. We want to hear about the world-changing ideas going on where you are. Have you ventured into the metaverse yet? Let us know on TikTok or Instagram. And while you're at it, leave us your comments and reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. See you next Wednesday. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis, and senior VP of entertainment Scott Nebus. (laughs) 